Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zetner Geology Podcast, episode 114, Penrose, Idaho. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's the end of the summer. Labor Day weekend is upon us, and I am reporting today on a very positive Penrose conference that took place over the last two weeks in western Idaho. McCall, Idaho, Riggins, Idaho, those were the home bases for this experience. 75 geologists, mostly from North America, a few from other continents, Mexican geologists, American geologists, Canadian geologists, all living together, eating meals together, and giving talks to each other, and discussing concepts and tectonic models for the American West. The title of the Penrose was 2023 GSA Penrose Conference, Developing a New Paradigm for the Mid-Cretaceous to Eocene North American Cordillera and Obliquely Convergent Plate Margin, August 18th to the 25th, 2023, run by Basil Tickoff, University of Wisconsin. It was his baby. The original thought for the Penrose was coming from both Basil and Paul Umhofer of Northern Arizona University. Basil is University of Wisconsin. And Paul tragically died unexpectedly uh, in November of 2021. And so the conference continued uh, a proposal. It took two tries to get this thing funded. Uh, but if you have a good memory from these audio episodes, back in May, I was discouraged. I went to the GSA section meeting in Reno, Nevada, and many of these geologists were there, and it was a rigid format. There was very little open discussion between these folks about very different ideas about tectonic models. Yeah, I'm talking about Baja, BC, and other things. And, uh, I was just bummed out because it felt like this rather controversial set of ideas involving paleomagnetism and mantle tomography was just never going to move forward because uh, a discussion between these different people was just not going to happen. Well, that was May, and now it's late August, and I am thrilled to report. And I don't know, I, I think everybody was feeling great about it. Maybe I'll hear at some point that some were discouraged by the by the Penrose that that we are we're all just uh, uh, experiencing together but I think it's a pretty safe bet that almost everybody there was encouraged they were energized because there really was open honest discussion and it did feel like there were a number of steps forward now Basil is exhausted uh, not only did he uh, call the shots for each of the days of the field trip, uh, there were also two pre-Penrose days where amateur geologists, in other words, people that listen to my programs and watch my videos on YouTube, 75 of those folks showed up from all over the country, and Basil and Stacia Gordon and Ellen Nelson uh, essentially entertained all those folks, the Zent nerds, as they were known. And there were two full field trips in, uh, in more than 100 degree Fahrenheit weather, uh, mostly older people. So we dodged a bullet by nobody uh, falling or passing out or being dehydrated. Uh, 
Uh, and that was a very positive experience as well. Very different kind of experience, I must say. It was intense. It was emotional. It was um, uh, terrific to, to meet many of those folks for the first time. Uh, but my point is that uh, on the heels of that, here's this, this uh, seven-day tectonics conference. How can I do this to try to paint a picture? Well, number one, there are some videos that wait for you at YouTube if you are interested. Uh, there's a live stream on the pre-Penrose Zetnerds activities. There's a live stream also solo from my cabin in McCall where I was reporting on details of the conference to, this, to that point. Then the next day, which was the last live stream I did from the Penrose, um, I grabbed a bunch of the geologists and had them come on camera one at a time, live, with me, and uh, had folks from Mexico, America, Canada, and uh, just tried to put a human face on the Penrose experience. That all worked quite well. And then one of the field trip days, I brought gizmo and my iPhone and a couple of mics and I captured the field trip the best I can and the rocks were beautiful the outcrops were outstanding the western Idaho shear zone so that's one way to kind of help you see what a Penrose conference is and I think especially in the field trip video you can visually see and hear audio in audio form that people were excited that was day one of the conference by the way but that positive vibe continued. So hats off to Basil Tickoff for pulling it off, for making it happen. How did he do it? Well, uh, the first day of actually getting together and talking geology, uh, the four tectonic models were presented to the group. And it wasn't just old timers, by the way. Not only was there diversity in countries and specializations, but there was diversity in ages as well. There were folks my age and older, you know, in other words, uh, over 60. Uh, there were mid-career people who had worked uh, with different aspects of this set of concepts. And there were some grad students who were just getting started. And in one case, there was a kid from India who was on the live stream who just got off the plane and was not planning on going to the Penrose, but a, an opening uh, materialized uh, at the last minute. Somebody canceled, and that uh, what was his name? Can't remember his name. Uh, he's a brand new student of Stacia Gordon, University of Nevada, Reno, and so what an amazing first experience uh, in the states uh, to go to this conference. And Santosh, no, uh, he's going to be. Uh, uh, working on the Skagit Nice in the North Cascade, so essentially part of the dream team. Okay, so um, the key, and I think the crux of the episode here today, is to talk about, well, let me t remind you of the four tectonic models, and then I'll try to zero in on what I think worked format-wise. Uh, yes, back in, back in May, I was saying, how can the vibe change? How can the format change to encourage some sort of inclusive, open, positive discussion where everyone's data is acknowledged and there is some sort of free-flowing discussion among everyone. Well, it happened, but let's do the models first. There are four tectonic models as I've outlined them 
at least, over the last winter time talking about the Baja BC A to Z series. Do you remember them? The conventional majority opinion is that um, over the last 200 million years, there has been steady, ongoing, eastward subduction of an oceanic plate, the Farallon Plate. And that subduction of the Farallon Plate created the California geology, including the Franciscan Complex, the Great Valley Sequence, the, the old Sierra Nevada Volcanic Arc, which is now the Sierra Nevada Batholith. And then that shuts off at 85 million years ago, and, and geologic activity continues further east, building the Rocky Mountains in a non-volcanic sense with severe fold and thrusting, thin skin deformation, and then thick skin deformation, Laramide block uplifts. Okay. The other tectonic models are alternative models. The hit and run model put forth in a brand new paper by Basil Tickoff and Bernie Hausen, Western Washington University. A different alternative model, the fixed archipelago group, as I've labeled them, Karn Seglock and Mitch Mahalanik, taking, uh, okay. And finally, the ribbon continent, Stephen Johnston, University of Alberta. So the hit and run is incorporating and honoring the robust paleomagnetic data that has been acquired over the last 60 plus years. In fact, all three of those alternative models embraces paleomag. So there were a number of paleomagnetic people at the conference. The difference between the hit and run model and the archipelago model and the ribbon continent model is who collided with North America to create the Rocky Mountains? The hit-and-run model says there's a collision between the insular superterrain offshore that collides with North America, and then the insular superterrain hits us and then gets sent north. Hit with insular and then run the insular superterrain towards the North Pole, uh, honoring the paleomag. The... Uh, sorry, the fixed archipelago model also focuses on the inter, uh, the insular superterrain hitting North America, but with not just eastward subduction, but westward subduction as well. And backing up, the hit-and-run model is not quite sure about which direction the ocean plates are diving as we're closing that Mescalera Ocean Basin. The fixed archipelago model, however, is very firm in the idea that you need those island arcs, the insular, and maybe some other island arcs. Uh, you need them fixed in the Pacific, and you have North America plowing into the insular superterrain and other fixed island arcs. Also, difference between another difference between the hit and run and the fixed archipelago is the timing. Basil and Bernie want that hit to be 100 million years ago. That is a major collision that is recorded in the bedrock all up and down the, 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 the Rockies, Canadian Rockies and American Rockies. Karin and Mitch with the fixed archipelago group want a much earlier major collision at about 150 million years ago and then some other collisions. But both, both of those models uh, acknowledge that there's major northward transport. And then the most radical, I guess, the most independent of thought idea is Stephen Johnston's ribbon continent model. And Bob Hildebrand leans this way as well. And that's factoring in the CARMAX group. 
70-million-year-old flood basalts that are up in Yukon but are so young, 70 million years old, and so far east that you need a major Baja BC fault at the Rocky Mountain Trench, the Tintina Fault, so far east that, at least in the lower 48 states, it's very difficult to find a structure that's that major. So it works with the Canadian geology and not as well with the lower 48. Another difference is the ribbon continent model has not only the insular but also the intermontane terrain soldered together out in the Pacific. And so those that uh, doubt that there's major translation on a major fault running between the intermontane and the insular superterrains, if they're willing to address northward translation, they're going to be in the ribbon co continent model saying that it, we don't have that major motion in uh, the Bridge River terrain area or Churn Creek or places in the North Cascades. Uh, those major offsets are not there, so we've got to look farther to the east to find this major place where we're breaking the crust and sending a big block of crust to the north. Okay, well, those are the four models, and not only are there four different versions of what happened to build the Rocky Mountains and four different versions to explain uh, the crust of the uh, North American continent west of the Rockies, in addition to that, there's people of different countries. In addition to that, there's paleomag people that only do paleomag. There's, there's mantle tomography people that only do mantle tomography. There's surface bedrock mappers, structural geologists. They only do that. There's fossil people. They only do fossil stuff. Uh, there's G-plates people. They only do G-plate stuff. So you can see the challenge, I think, and why it's been such a difficult task to get everybody together to talk openly and share ideas. But that's what happened. At the 14-minute mark, can I switch gears and get off the detailed geology, which may have blown over some of you if you haven't been keeping up with the channel. I apologize. I did that quickly. But I want to now talk about, I guess, sociology. Like, like how was this how did Basil do it? Okay, well, first, I'll toot my own horn just, just a touch. That whining episode back in May, I was so disappointed, and Basil heard that audio podcast. He called me up, and he said, well, okay, I think I'm going to blow up my schedule that I have for the Penrose, and I'm going to try to kind of solder in or wire in some specific time for discussion. And I said, that would be just delightful. That's what's needed. Okay? So, possibly me ranting into my microphone had a small contribution to the success of the Penrose. So what did Basil do? The first day of the, of the you know, in-person stuff, so the, the, the true first day was a field trip, which was not the plan, but there was so much rain forecast by the landing of the hurricane, Hurricane Allison, that a bunch of rain showed up in western Idaho. So we had two solid days of rain. So that was another good move by Basil. Push the field trip to the first true day. Okay, fine. Second day, which was the first day of actually being indoors, there were two keynote addresses, about a half an hour in length, introducing some of the models by the people who authored the models. And then there were these brilliant 
small groups. So there were nine small groups that were carefully selected ahead of time. So Basil and mostly Basil uh, assign these nine small groups. And those are the nine groups that we're going to get together regularly throughout the entire conference. So you'd hear a couple big talks. Some of that stuff was brand new to people. Some of it was old hat. And then you, you have all these nine groups meet for about half an hour. They've got some butcher paper. They've got some Sharpies. They're writing out after they discuss or while they discuss the pros and cons of the model, what they think, what they like, what they don't like, especially the experienced people are letting the younger people talk. There's enough professors there where the professors in the groups are kind of nurturing discussion with people who are younger. And they develop their kind of pros and cons list and their thoughts. Then all these nine small groups come back together and there's a spokesman for each of the nine groups and those thoughts are put forth. I was not in one of the nine groups because, again, I was kind of the outreach, well, I don't think I said it, I was the outreach person at the conference, so my job was to communicate some of the happenings of the Penrose with the outside world. In part, I'm doing that right now, but those videos were also doing that. And I was told very specifically that I can't film while we're doing these, these discussions. It's going to put a damper on everybody's enthusiasm, and they're going to be, you know, they're going to have stage fright if they know that their you know open words are going to be recorded for for all time you know it's a big audience that are watching these things so i was just kind of a floater i was just you know literally walking around from small group to small group listening in and occasionally sitting down and just kind of staring at my shoes and and and, and observing and and listening to what was happening and i'm so pleased to report that even the most fixist uh, anti-Baha BC people were there, number one, but were very professional and encouraging and never emotions, never did emotions get into it, never did we have someone storm out of a room, never did we have any of these nightmare behaviors that clearly have been happening over the last 50 years. There was reference occasionally to the 1999 Penrose that was also held on this topic. That was at the Red Barn in Winthrop, Washington. And according to Basil and a few others, it was a disaster. There were the Paleomag people, and then there was everybody else, and there was zero communication between those two groups. And in fact, Basil reports that a direct result of that Penrose is all the Paleomag people left the North Cascades. They got driven out of the area. They were, they were beaten down. Well, it was the opposite of that at this conference. The Paleomag was not questioned. It's a robust data set. And the other major data set that was brought to the table were the images of these ocean plates that are still with us but are now hanging vertically in the lower mantle. All right. Well, that was maybe the pl I'm not sure, but I think that was the plan, that the small group thing was going to get the discussions going, and then each group was going to be reporting. I haven't followed up with Basil on this, but I suspect that he called another audible. In addition to changing the day of the field trip, I think he caught enough positive vibes from everybody 
that Basil said, okay, we've got an evening session after supper. We're not going to have two more talks. We're going to have a panel discussion. I really need to follow up with him and see if that was truly improv or not. If it was, I'm even more impressed. But I think it was the end of day two. I forget now. But it was like, okay, after supper, everybody's going to show up and we're going to have a discussion with everybody at the same time. No more small groups. And I was particularly interested in if that was going to work or not. And if we go back to the true first evening, everybody flew into Boise and then got shuttled up to Riggins, Idaho. We stayed the first two nights in a in a hotel in Riggins overlooking the main Salmon River. And that first night after dinner, Basil welcomed everybody and talked about the mechanics of the logistics and and a little bit about the goals, but he didn't try to do everybody was, you know, jet lagged and everything. But he turned it over to me for just a, a couple of minutes. And I said, well, I'm going to be filming during the field trip. So I just want to let you know that. Yeah, I just want to let you know that I have a YouTube channel and I'm going to be filming during the field trip. I hope that doesn't bother you. But there's a big audience out there. And uh, I'm my one of my roles here is to be an outreach person for what's happening at the Penrose. So they were fine with that. And then I, before I turned it back to Basil, I said, you know, I also I don't have any idea how many of you are aware of me and what I've been doing, but I have done a Baja BC series this winter and I have practiced moderating these discussions. And so if at some point I start kind of directing traffic a little bit with an open discussion, that's why I'm doing it. Well, parenthetically, I was very surprised that pretty much everybody there was familiar with me. And pretty much everybody there had been watching some of the Baja BC programs. And I was just so thrilled to hear that. I don't think people were just being polite. I think it was real. Again, possibly what I was doing with bringing all these folks on, Randy Ankin, Jane Wynn, Bernie, Bernie Hausen, uh, Bob Hildebrand, uh, and so on and so on and so on, uh, Possibly what I was able to do on YouTube helped set the tone for this thing. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's possible that, that that's part of this. So back to the, the, the big moment where Basil says, after supper, we're all going to get together and just kind of go for it. It worked. I can't even remember how he got it started. But I thought, oh boy, if there is going to be a time when we have arguments back and forth, or if we have a, a, you know, an hour-long discussion with 75 people, we're going to get some folks down in the weeds and we're going to lose sight of why we're even doing this. There was no moderator needed. And by day three, I think, people were regularly, when they were giving their presentation, regularly referring to the spirit of the conference, like in a positive way, like as in, well, you know, due to the spirit of the conference, I feel like I can share this. So like they were acknowledging that the thing was working in real time. So to me, the highlights were those hour-long panel discussions. I think there were three of them. 
three hours where everyone in the room felt safe enough to challenge some thoughts, bring up their data, and it the, the thing just kind of had a life of its own. It wasn't even Basil really stepping in and making sure everybody was being heard and that sort of thing. So I was really thrilled with that part of it. I was thrilled with all of it. Come on now. There were also poster sessions. I don't know if you know about a poster session, but you know, that's another way to present your data. You create a poster, you stand by your poster, there's a bunch of posters in a room, and then, you know, people come and visit and they ask you questions and there's discussions that way. So tied to that are these little lightning talks. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the idea is before you start the poster session, you have the 15 people who have a poster for the next hour and a half give a two-minute talk, a two-minute greatest hits about, you know, come to my poster, here's what's, what's there, and then on to the next person, on to the next person. Logistically, the internet at the main McCall Lodge, so in other words, we spent the first two nights in Riggins, and then we moved to McCall, which is an hour to the south and also quite a bit higher in elevation, and that's when the rain was really coming down. The internet was not good at this Bible camp. It was literally a Quaker Bible camp. So, you know, our main meeting area was the chapel. <laughs> and then there's the, you know, cafeteria where we have our typical cafeteria church camp type meals. It wasn't wasn't fancy. Uh, and truly cabins and bunk beds and the whole thing. Here are these very famous geologists, well-established geologists cramming into these bunk beds, like eight people to a room. Like at some point, I wasn't thinking that's a paleomag specialist. I'm thinking that dude snores. <laughs> um, but yeah, Karen Siglock, Stephen Johnston, George Garrels, University of Arizona. Uh, a bunch of big names were there. Bob Miller, Daryl Cowan, on and on and on. Uh, where was I going with that? Sorry. Yeah, the poster sessions were like in the ping pong room. And you know, in the middle of the poster sessions, there's there's times when everybody just has a seat or four or five people just have a seat uh, next to the, uh, you know, whatever, the pinball machine and starts just talking about ideas. Some of them sitting crisscross applesauce on the coffee-stained carpet and uh, going on for a while. Some of my favorite moments, which... I cannot be specific about, again, due to the anonymity of the thing. It happened three times, so I don't think it's just an accident, but I'll report it. Again, it sounds like I'm trying to shoehorn myself into this and talk about how wonderful I am. That's not my intent, but I do want to give you a couple of, of thrilling moments. It happened three times. What happened three times? Well, it's, it's at a poster, let's say. And I just kind of wander over and talk to somebody who's got a reputation for being quite firm about their convictions, let's say. And whether I know them or not, whether they're aware of me a lot or not, doesn't matter. I just start asking questions in kind of a moronic way. Uh, it, 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 that's just the way I ask questions. It's like sometimes I pretend I don't know much. Sometimes I truly don't know much, but I, I'm not, for whatever reason, I'm not ashamed to ask very basic questions. 
So it starts that way. And in a few of these cases, I kind of knew what the person's going to say. They start answering my questions. It's pretty much what I thought. And okay, I don't know if I'm learning a whole lot of new things. But those three times, out of the corner of my eye, I realized standing next to me, who have, have kind of showed up because I'm standing there talking to this person, is their quote-unquote rival, at least in the literature. And I don't, you know, I don't immediately stop and go, hey, your rival's here. You guys should talk. Instead, in all three of those cases, I kept the conversation going, talking to the one person, but I figured out how to involve the other person and then before I knew it, they were talking. And in two of those cases, they had never really spoken for more than a couple of minutes. And here was a five to ten minute discussion where I continued to stand there, but I wasn't speaking now. And in one of the cases, the gentleman who was the rather firm, unyielding person was looking at me just as much as he was looking at his rival and yet it was just the two of them talking. So I was some sort of safety net or something. It was, it was kind of bizarre, but at the same time, it was really fun to be part of those discussions. Kind of a facilitator in some sort of odd way. The thing I'm going to finish with is maybe my most thrilling moment. And again, I can't. I want to. I want to tell you the details and give you the name, but I, I won't because, well, here's why. After one of those panel discussions, I noticed this guy writing pretty furiously in his notebook, not negatively, but like with energy. I tried. You know, I'm I'm kind of a spectator at heart. I'm always kind of scanning the room and just kind of soaking it all in. I stay, sit in the back, kind of separate from everybody else, and just observe. And listen. So here's this guy, not just sitting there writing a couple notes, like really hunched over. In fact, he had a calculator out at one point, started punching stuff into his calculator on his phone. And as we're leaving the chapel, <laughs> chapel, so we're leaving the chapel, this guy uh, is right next to me and he says, Hey, uh, let me just show you something real quick. Unprompted, you know. And so people are kind of passing by, and we kind of go underneath these pine trees. He says, I just want to show you this. And he shows me these tectonic sketches that he had just been inspired to draw. And he said, I think this is brilliant, don't you? And this is a modest guy who doesn't say stuff like that very often. He says, I think this is brilliant, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, that solves some problems. That idea, that tectonic idea that you have, that's really going to work. And he said, hey, I don't know when I'm going to publish this, but please don't share this with anybody. This is, this is a new thought that's going to help break a couple of log jams. So I fully expect this person to eventually publish this new idea that was spurred by being at the Penrose Conference. Okay, this is the last thing I'm going to say. 
the, pre the new president of the Geological Society of America was there, and I had a couple of chats with him over a meatloaf or whatever, you know, whatever the, the standard uh, Bible camp food was. And uh, this, this, this president said, uh, oh, I'm aware of what you're doing with the YouTube channel. It's very nice to see, it, see that. And I think the GSA should do a better job of, of, of outreach, and maybe you'd have a couple of ideas. That was the first chat in the parking lot. Second chat was, second and third chats were over uh, a meal. And I said, I do have some ideas for you, and I don't think they would be that hard to implement. And in fact, I think they would be cheap and maybe thought of as a pilot program of some sort. How about at the next GSA meeting, you actually live stream a couple of the talks or a whole session on Ice Age floods? You could hire a film crew or, or maybe you could just have me do it. I've got a big audience now. But these GSA meetings could be a major part of your outreach. And that really could work. I'm living proof of it over the last few years. People want to be included in things like this. And I think that they would be happy to donate a bunch of money to encourage more of this sort of thing. We'll see if it happens. But the general idea is, this is how I'll close, I told this GSA president in a cocky moment, you know, uh, Mr. President, I, I was kind of wondering if Penrose conferences needed to happen anymore. They're so expensive. You're flying everybody in. It's National Science Foundation money, I assume. And, you know, everybody's living together physically for a week. What I was doing on YouTube was essentially a Penrose, I thought. I was just, you know, giving everybody a chance to talk about their ideas. And there was collaboration and there was learning and there was scientific papers being discussed. And what I was doing was free. Everybody, there was no cost at all. But I told this president I was wrong. I now see why these Penrose conferences are so essential for making major steps forward. Some of these moments I'm reporting on, vaguely to you here, dear listener, would not have been possible if that vibe had not been established by Basil Tickoff and those formats with poster sessions and small groups and panel discussions and formal talks and just continual mixing up of these kind of human dynamics, those big moments like I just reported on with the sketches in the notebook, that would not have happened. I don't think that would have happened unless it was this kind of magical group of people in western Idaho, right there on the western Idaho Shear Zone. Wow, it was an honor and a thrill to be part of that. I thank Basil Tickoff and the co-conveners of the Penrose Conference publicly, and I hope that you enjoy some of the videos waiting for you from that conference. Okay, dear viewer, dear listener, what are you? You're a listener. Okay, dear listener, I think it's time to wrap this one up. Um, a little bit less playful this time, a little bit more direct and to the point, which is maybe what's needed more and more with these audio episodes. Thanks for listening to this one, everybody. I love you, and goodbye from Ellensburg, Washington, USA.